Welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And we are really, really glad that you're here and that you've uh, um, decided to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. We're honored that um, you, would, you would do that and enjoy it, join us for worship, especially if you are um, guests and visitors. We're really, really glad that you're here. Let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. We have a lot to do today. Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for um, just your word and that we don't have to search and we don't have to decide every week um, what we're going to talk about necessarily when we come in here because you've given us uh, your word. You've given us an outline on what the church is supposed to be about in your word. And so even when we're talking about something like vision today, you've given us a clear vision of what a, a New Testament church is to be about. And we're thankful for that so we can just stand up here and, and all of us sit under the authority um, of your word and trust you that uh, these words are the words of life. They're your words. They're fully sufficient and they have power. And they have the power to change us even today as we dig into the word. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we find ourselves in the, the last week of a three-week vision series we've been going through, really just going back over the mission and vision of the church. This is the beginning of the year. We thought this would be a good idea to get some clarity, everyone to get on the same page. Those of you who have joined us in the last year, we haven't done one of these in a year or so. So um, giving you an overview of who we are and really what um, our expectations are. And so the first week we uh, looked at just a big picture view on what is the vision and mission of the church. And uh, those are on the screen here. Vision, um, we exist to glorify God by leading people to find freedom and joy in Jesus. That's the big vision of the church. That's, that's uh, kind of um, very theoretical. It's kind of up here, but it's our, it's our passion. It's what drives us. It's, what, it's kind of our banner, our, our, our battle cry, that we exist to glorify God by leading people to find freedom and joy in Jesus. Now, to drill a little further down, we say, well, what is the mission? Kind of how are we going to get there? We get there by living as disciples that make disciples. We seek gospel saturation through declaring and demonstrating the gospel in all of life. And really there, the key, I think the key words are living as disciples that make disciples because how are we going to see that happen? It begs the question, well, what does a disciple look like? What's a disciple do? Like, how does a disciple fit into the life of the church? And I think for, for those of us who've been here for a while, those of you who are new, it's really important to just stop and talk about really what um, our expectations are. And, and when you come into a new church, what are we expecting of you? And we really try to, again, go back to the scriptures and ask, what do the scriptures expect of us as disciples? And we feel like the best way and, and really the most simplistic way to go about this and looking at the scriptures is to talk about disciple and discipleship in the terms of four identities. Those are on the screen as well. Learner, worshiper, family, missionary. Okay, And if you look throughout the scriptures, these four things come up over and over and over as God's people live out the mission of God. So as leadership, we thought this would be a good place to, to go to really uh, be able to cast vision, to be able to give you all like handles and, and clarity on um, what we're doing here. What does a disciple look like? What does a disciple look like as they live their life? Okay, and so this is meant to, to really help you focus on asking that question, what's the point of all this? Or when I wake up on Monday morning, what, what, what goes on between Monday and Saturday? What am I to do? And so these identities hopefully will help you 
start to narrow things down. Last week, we talked about learner and worshiper, and we're not going to go back over those. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon. We really unpack those and explain those. You'll also find an overview on our website of those two things as well. Today, we're going to focus on family and missionary to wrap the series up. Family and missionary, okay? So the, they all fit together, though. They're like uh, four interlocking circles with really the middle of all the overlap being um, a, a holistic disciple of Jesus, okay? And so the learner-worshipper piece are really those pieces that, that affect our transformation, change our minds, change our hearts, change our affections. It's loving the Lord your God with heart, soul, might, and strength, okay? All of those things kind of fit into the learner and worshiper. And if you think of family and missionary now, that's our kind of our arms and legs. It's how we live this out. It's the, okay, so now what? Now we're going to be family and live as missionaries, okay? So that kind of helps you figure out how these four fit together. Um, they all make up a holistic picture of a disciple, but for explanation purposes, we're having to pull those apart and, and really talk through each one of those, okay? So last week, I want to cut, review briefly on how we come to get these identities, okay? These identities are given to us. They're given to us by Jesus, but we have to go back to the beginning, like we did last week, of in Genesis 1, God's creating Adam and Eve, and he says, let us make man in our own image. Let us make humans in our own image. So the identity given to us are our image bearers. We are image bearers of God who are to reflect God and be his representatives on earth. That's the original purpose for all humanity. That was our image. We had a clean, perfect image and identity. In Genesis 3, sin comes into the world. Our, our identity is broken. It's busted. It's, it's really, really messed up now. And so identity is difficult to come by. And then you come to Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. He redeems us, gives us a new identity, calls us back into relationship with the Father, those of us who have faith and trust in Jesus. So he redeems us into a right relationship with the Father. And now we're on this kind of path and this, this uh, progression of sanctification, which over time he's restoring us into the image of Genesis 1, but also into the image of himself. And that's the process. If you're a Christian, that's the process you're in right now. Okay, so Jesus, on this side of the cross and resurrection, Jesus gives us a new identity if we have faith and trust in who he is and what he has done. So these identities come from Christ himself. The scripture tells us that we're new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. And part of that new identity are these four, these all kind of sub-identities that we see all throughout Scripture, okay? So family and missionary. Before we pull them apart, let's look at a passage of Scripture that I think really keeps them together. And I think this is one of the most important passages in the New Testament, really as it comes to the purpose and, 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 and really the, the why behind church. Why do we have church? First Peter 2, um, start with verse 9. <clears throat> He says, but you are a chosen race. Listen to these four things he says they are. This is the church. These are Christians. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let's stop there, okay? These four kind of really identity statements, he's telling the church who they are. This is who you are. Again, a few things to notice, all four of these descriptors are all plural. They're all groups of people. So Peter isn't seeing the church as 
a bunch of individuals. He's seeing all of the Christians he's writing to collectively as the church. I think it's important that the, the really the New Testament writers most often see us when, he, when they're writing letters, God's communicating to us through them, they see us as, as one body, one people. The commands are given to the church and not just to an isolated um, group of individuals. And then you also notice these, these four things. There's race, priesthood, nation, people. All plurals, all different angles on that idea of being a people. And then you have chosen, royal, holy, and God's possession. Okay, all really descriptors of the gospel, descriptors of the good news. We're chosen. We have royalty now through an inheritance that he's given to us. We're holy, we're set apart, and we're people for his own possession. We're a possession of a good, good father. We're his servants, okay? And, and remember, he's talking to people all over the Roman Empire here, Peter. This is a broad circulated letter. So he's talking to people from different races, different statuses in society, uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different education levels. And yet he's saying they are one race, one race. And the thing that unites them, the thing that makes them one race is now they are children of God. Like all of their, their race, their status, their family, biological family, all now are secondary to this idea of being one race, children of God in Christ, okay? So we have to see that as well, okay? This is obviously written to us as well. And so hopefully the church is made up of people from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different socioeconomic statuses, all different um, stratas of society. That's the, that's the picture of what the church is to be about, okay? Unified, many people from many different backgrounds, united in Christ. And you see this word holy, it means set apart. Peter's saying that Christians are a nation that are set apart for a specific purpose. And we'll he'll get to that here in a second. And so once again, Peter's saying we are these things. It's not here's, here's how you can become a holy nation or here's how you become a chosen race. No, he's saying you're chosen, you're holy, you're possessed by God. We're a people for his possession. Okay, now let's let Peter continue here. That, or he says, so that you may proclaim, audibly proclaim, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so you see the, the, we're, this message is to be proclaimed. And what is the message? They give us kind of three parallel statements here. Um, darkness into marvelous light. Then he continues, you were not a people in verse 10, but now you are God's people. And now once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy, okay? Again, just building up this idea of their one people, an identity, a family united together under Christ so that they may, they may proclaim the excellencies of him. Okay, so let's look closer at this identity of family. John 1, 12 through 13. So the, the, the John, the, the apostle, spent time with Jesus. It's kind of a thesis statement of his gospel, like in one of them. He says, but to all who did receive him, it's Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, these, we didn't, we don't make ourselves be born. We're born again by, through the power of the Spirit and God. 
Um, but the key, the key phrase here is children of God. So if we have been brought into God the Father's family, that means any other person on the planet, past, present, or future, that is brought into God's family are now his children. And because of that, we are sons and daughters of all of those people. This global church, this reality that if you are in Christ and God is your father, that means you have millions and millions of brothers and sisters who've lived before you, who are living now, who will come after you. Okay, so let's talk more about this. So this idea of family, okay, this idea of family, I think is becoming popular in our day and age. Churches are you're starting to use it more because they're trying to get at the idea that they want to be welcoming and, and they, want to, they want to do community well or maybe whatever value they have. But I think we need to kind of define this as scripture defines it. Okay, so one of the common metaphors in the, in the Bible that is used for church is family. Okay, so the Bible sees the church primarily as the people of God. When it's used, these, these words, church, family, body, these things, it's getting at this idea that it's the people, okay? It's not a scattered bunch of individuals that get together once a week. It's not a church building. It's not a set of church programs. It is the people. So when we hear church, we should think the gathering of God's people. And more specifically, the local church, it's the gathering of God's people in a specific, usually geographic location. That's the local church there, okay? And this is, I think, why the church and why the scripture uses words like family and body to describe what the church is. If it was something different, the, they would use different metaphors. But you think of these, this family, the body, these are the two of the most common ones. We would never say, if we're talking about family, that I'm going to go to family tonight. Sounds strange, okay? Or um, I'm going to attend the body tonight, we don't, we, don't, we don't talk in that language. And so to be honest, to be accurate with our theology, we should probably say we're going to worship with the church at the building. I know that sounds a little weird in how we would, would say that, but I think we just need to be aware of how we're saying things, you know, and our theology comes out in what we say. So I know it's a little strange, uh, but I do think it's the theologically accurate idea is that the church is a people. It's a family. It's the body, Okay. And I'll, I'll say another plug here for membership. We have membership coming up. Um, I would encourage you, if you've been around Providence Road for a while, or if you want to become a part of Providence Road, please go through the membership class. Okay? This is where you covenant and, and you, you kind of commit to the, everyone else who is already a member. You commit to them, and we commit to you. And we say, okay, yes, we affirm we're, we're members together. We're family together. We take membership very seriously. It's very important for us. And I'll highlight what Chris said. College students, I know sometimes it feels weird. I've got this home church, and I may only be here for four or five years, so I may not like, well, put roots down here, and what will my home church think about if I do membership here? I guarantee you 99% of your home churches would love for you to become members of a church for one, two, three, four years while you're in Norman. So I, college students, this is for you as much as it is for anyone else. So please, um, consider coming to membership class. There's no pressure if you come, but to become a member of the church, you need to come to that. So like we did last week, we're going to look at family and missionary in the context of our two primary environments here, the Sunday gathering and missional communities, okay? So let's, let's take the Sunday gathering first and how family plays out in this environment, okay? Everything we do here in this time is corporate in nature. It's corporate. We do it together. Listen to Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. 
Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's clearly trying to make a point here that we are unified. We are one. Through the Spirit uniting us together, we are one. So when we come together as a local body of Christians, we are acting that out. We're acting out this idea of unity. So when you come into this place, when you enter that door, you should probably have this kind of change to be, okay, I'm kind of coming in as an individual. I have all of these things I've been thinking about. But when, when we start uh, the service here, it becomes a collection of, of people doing the things we do. We pray as a group of people. We sing songs as a group of people. We sit and listen to sermons as a group of people. And we, we take communion as a group. of We kind of call everyone down at the same time to take communion. So I think the biggest thing is just to be aware that this is a very special time for the family of Providence Road, this Sunday morning time. It's very special to us. It's very important to us, okay? And so as you come into this place, I would encourage you to think of it in that way. Now, let's shift to missional communities, okay? One of the ways um, that we make sure that we're not just saying this word family a lot because it's a buzzword or it sounds good, one of the ways we make sure that we're actually kind of walking the talk is putting a lot of emphasis on missional communities, Okay, Sunday gathering and missional communities are equally important to us. But here's the deal. In our culture, when people think of church, they most often think of this environment. They think of Sunday morning, getting together for an hour and 15 minutes or so, listening, singing, those kinds of things. Most people don't think primarily about missional community as being a gathering of the church. So this is why we put so much emphasis on missional community to make sure that all of us are really balanced in understanding that both of these environments, the Sunday gathering and missional community, are equally important. Okay, So that's why we put so much emphasis on missional community. So let's talk about missional community. If you think of family, your biological family, even if you have moderately healthy relationships, think of how you treat your mother or father, sister, brother, son, daughter. Like, if they're in need, there's really not this question of, well, how much does it cost me? How much is it going to affect me? How much sacrifice is on the line for me? It's just, no, you, you do it because it's family. Like, why wouldn't I? Like, wh- like, why wouldn't I help my mom if she needed help? Why wouldn't, if my brother was in need, why wouldn't I go help my brother? So I think that needs to be the lens. If we're truly family, which we just saw in the scriptures we are, then I think a question becomes, how can I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ, the same way I treat um, my biological family, okay? Here's some things, practical things, I think that happen in missional community or as we live life together. We take responsibility, responsibility for one another's spiritual formation. So if I have a guy in my missional community, I don't only just want to like them to be okay and not get sick and come to church, like, I want them to experience the fullness of God. I want them to experience freedom and joy. I don't, I want them to thrive. I want them to look back in a year and look back to where they are now and see a lot of growth and growing up into their identity in Jesus. So I'm, I want to take responsibility for other people's spiritual growth, and I want everyone else to do the same for me. I need to be reminded, corrected, rebuked, encouraged, Ask difficult questions, okay? A lot of that happens in what we call fight clubs, which are a part of missional communities. 
Um, but we want to take the responsibility for one another's spiritual formation because he's given us the family, the body, to help us look more like Jesus. We want to spend consistent time with one another outside of our missional community. Um, families spend time together. Before maybe you moved out of the house, I'm, I'm guessing, hopefully, your family spent a lot of time together. It wasn't you had this one hour and 15 minute block on once a week and you said, hey, I'll see you next week. No, it, we would, from the outside, we would say, maybe there's some unhealthy things going on here if that's the only time you see each other as a family. I think the same thing as a church. If we're only seeing one another um, once a week, anyone else from the church, then I think maybe that unhealthy question should be asked. So we spend consistent time with one another outside um, of our missional community night and Sunday morning. We throw parties and plan activities together. I know growing up as a family, um, my birthday was a big deal in my family, and my brother's birthday was a big deal in my family, and we celebrated it somehow every year. So every birthday, if you're in a missional community, birthday should be celebrated because it's the bro- brother's birthday, sister's birthday. Let's, let's have a party for them. Let's, let's make much of them on their birthday. We want them to have a good day, the same way we would do people in our own, own family. We use our gifts to help one another grow as disciples, okay? We um, there's evidence of the family radically serving one another. There should be stories and evidence of God's grace in this area. People are quick to ask for help. Okay, we don't want to be codependent upon community. That's kind of moving too far, but I don't think a lot of that's our danger for most of us. But we need to be dependent upon our community. So when there's a need, you ask. When you, you, when you, when you have a, something to, that needs to be prayed for, you ask. When you have something that maybe you're, you're kind of ashamed of, it's the family. Don't be ashamed. Ask for prayer. Ask for help, okay? We ask for help quickly. There are nearly 60 commands in the scripture that talk about um, loving one another or serving one another. They're called the one another's. And so the majority of those cannot be lived out in this environment on Sunday morning. So there, there's this assumption in scripture, I think, that the church will be spending much more time together than once a week to be able to do all of these one another's the way God wants us to, to do them. So I think that God is hardwired into the church, especially if you see it in Acts and some of the other epistles, that the, the, these, these, uh, there's a New Testament church picture of being family throughout the week, as well as doing a, a weekly thing um, on Sunday, but they were a family together um, throughout the week. Now here's, here's the bottom line here. Being a family will cost you. It'll cost you. It costs Christ dearly, death, separation for the Father to bring us into the family, to bring his brothers and sisters into the family, to bring them back home, it cost him dearly. So being a family in in the church, it'll cost you. It'll cost you. It's messy. You'll have conflict. It'll be uncomfortable at some time, just the way it was growing up, and, and maybe with now with your biological family. It's messy. There's baggage. There's moments of where you're not comfortable, okay? But you're, you're willing to give your time, your resources, your energy to love well. This is why coming into the church is not a, how, what am I going to get out of it? How can this particular body meet my needs? And, and it's really, how, how can I be used in this particular body? God, how do you want me to take how you've blessed me and how, and, and how you've wired me to love other people well? Okay, so it will cost you. And I think that's where maybe the, the, the buzzword of family doesn't maybe get down to this level because being a true family is costly. 
Um, we see it in Jesus. Now let's, let's move on to missionary. John 17, 22 through 23. And I think this kind of puts both of them together. This is a really, I think, great passage. This is Jesus and his prayer to, to the Father. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, the, 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 his disciples, and would become the church, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Okay, so again, unity. They become perfectly one. So that, here's that, so that again, so that the world, people around, observing, may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So again, there's this, there's this connection here between if we're being family, if we're being united in Christ, the world is going to see that or should see that and see God, see the gospel, see the good news. But here's the assumption. The assumption is while we're being family, the world has to see it. Like we can't huddle in with only Christians in, in community and do this really tight-knit community and be unified and no one ever see it. Like we got to give at least cut windows out, to use that metaphor, windows out of our MC so at least the world can look into what's going on in our MCs. Um, so this is why this mission piece comes in as we do life together. John 20, 21, this gets to this identity nature of being sent ones. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It's kind of John's version of the Great Commission. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, which if we're followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit now, and you will be my witnesses. So we are his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So where he's placed us, we're his witnesses because we have the Spirit who testifies about Jesus and the Father and his grace. Paul in 2 Corinthians says that we've been given the message of reconciliation and we have this identity now as ambassadors of the king, ambassadors of God. So we've been given the message and the identity to now go be missionaries, okay? We have been sent by God. We have the message through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are missionaries, okay? So this is that identity piece. We are that. We don't become that, or we don't go to another country to become missionaries. We are missionaries because we are Christians. And in Acts 17, this is, this is really interesting. Paul says that in his, in his sermon there, um, he says that God has appointed the time period in which we live and the places with which we live, Okay. So God, there's, it's no accident where you live, where you work, where you go to school. God in his sovereignty has placed you in your job, your neighborhood, your dorm, your apartment complex, um, your classes you're in. And, and he's done that for February of 2017. This is where he has you. It's not by accident. And I think if we, if we thought about that more and dwelt on the fact that I do what I do because God has placed me here, so I have a purpose in these areas that he's placed us. Um, now, if you're here and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want to have a little a, a side conversation with you. Um, you may be thinking, oh, here they go. They're trying to, here's the, the con, we're talking about converting, converting me here. It's not our job to convert. It's God's job to convert, okay? We don't convert unbelievers. That's not our role, okay? That's important. Um, our job is to take this message we've been given that's changed our life that we think will change everyone's life if truly believed and, 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 it had, and if someone has faith in it. 
It's the greatest news the world has ever known. This is the news that's been given to us, and we're called to, to share it in love, in our actions, and in our words. That's what, that's what we're talking about here in being missionaries. In case you're thinking, okay, this is where they're going to try to convert me here. This is really God's deal. So if we've been given this message, um, there's, there's kind of two things. If it's changed our life, and we know it will change other people's lives, we actually, and, and we're not communicating this, we either think this message isn't really good, isn't good enough to share, or there's something that's getting in the way of us sharing it with you if you're a non-Christian, which really kind of makes us mean. Okay, it makes us mean because we're withholding something that we know will change your life. So if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, don't bring this upon me, you should kind of be saying, I, I, I want to hear this. Like if this is that important to this group of people, I want to hear it. I want to know what you're building your life around. Okay, so yes, we want to talk to people about Jesus. Yes, we want people to know Jesus and through word and deed and in love. Okay, so let's look at Providence Road, kind of back on, back on here. Providence Road. Providence Road is a missional church. Missional, another buzzword, another word that has a lot of baggage, I think, because it's used a lot in church circles now. Here's where we get that. Here's why that's really important when we say that, and we're not going to stop saying it. God is a missional God. And his mission is that the earth would be filled with the knowledge and glory of him. That's the mission of God. That is his mission. And the incarnation was the greatest missionary act that has ever been done in the history of the world. The incarnation of Christ. Okay? Therefore, everything we do as a church, everything points to mission. Okay, whether it's youth ministry, kids ministry, um, whether it's small groups, which is why we call them missional communities, college ministries, your marriages, your families. All of those are into the context of this age of God's kingdom advancing here on the earth. So all of those things kind of have this orientation and this arrow pointing towards mission. This is why we don't have a missions program or we don't have a, an arm of the church that we call, this is our missions thing and, and please, please uh, be involved in it over here. No, it, this is an identity this is the mission of God. Therefore, we're saying like that needs, our eyes need to be up towards the mission the whole time, whether we're talking about our, our marriages or our families or how we're raising our kids, because we're, we're in a world where God is moving forward and he's given his church this task, okay? And we're a biblical church. We want to be a biblical, biblical church. Therefore, we think we should be a missional church. Now, let's look at the two environments here, Sunday gathering. This is a place where followers of Jesus honor, celebrate, worship God for who he is and what he has done. Okay, that is, that is clear, and that's what we do. However, we want this place to be welcoming, and we want our guests to feel welcome here. We want our guests to be able to kind of understand and follow what's going on day in and day out as we meet here on Sundays, okay? We want people to understand and it be intelligible to all people. We think that God has revealed himself to the world through his word, and if this time is centered on his word, then we think we, people who don't know Jesus and people who want a church home, we want, the, we want people to come because we feel like this is the word of life. This can change your life, okay? So yes, this is Probably mostly Christians are going to be in this place, but we always, always want to be welcoming and hospitable and open to those who don't think like us or look like us or believe in Jesus yet. We want people to come in here and wrestle because this is the best thing to wrestle with. And if we're going to talk about this thing and be, this, this thing is going to be central for 
an hour and 15 minutes, we want as many people to come into this space and wrestle and hear about it as well. Okay, so our role, invite people. Invite your friends. Invite people who don't have a church home. Invite people who don't know Jesus and want to know more about Jesus. And why are we so weird? And why do we do weird things sometimes? Well, come and find out. And maybe you get some of those questions answered about the church, okay? Now, missional communities. Okay, I'm going to run through these really quick. Um, Our group, the missional community, encourages and challenges us to be better missionaries, okay? One way this kind of happens is a lot of the, 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 um, I don't say excuse, but it's legitimate that we're, we're busy. We don't have a lot of time. How am I going to be a missionary and how much time that this potentially could take? And we kind of help people step back and evaluate life and say, well, what do you do on a daily basis? Are there any, is there anybody that you run into in your busyness? And I'm sure that answer for most of us is yes. Then, well, there you go. Be missional in your busyness. Like, don't necessarily stop your busyness to go be missional. Like, you have p- probably people all around you that you can love and serve and have conversations about Jesus around. Okay, so that, that's an example of how we help people and point people as a community and come up with the support as we are a missional church, okay? And we challenge one another, remind one another, because this is hard. We need to remind one another of the calling we have on our life. Uh, people intentionally living um, on mission in workplaces and in neighborhoods and as we um, have parties together and as we uh, want to see our neighborhoods change and the streets we live on become uh, uh, places that are, that are thriving and so we're serving people, we do that as a family as much as we can. Because back to, back to John 17, the world is going to know us by how we treat one another and by our unity. So we want to be a f- kind of, it's taking our family public, okay? Taking the family public for people to see. Um, um, each person is, is reminded to be praying for people close to them, to be loving people well. Um, our language and our posture are hospitable to outsiders. That's really in this space and in missional communities. So we want to be a people who aren't afraid to stand for truth. truth. Truth will and really should be offensive. That's the truth. But we should never be offensive people. And there's a difference. Like, let the truth be offensive. We don't want to be mean-spirited people. We're called to be humble and meek and serve people and love our enemies and those types of things. That's our calling. And when we're called to stand for truth, we stand for truth. We're not, we're not ashamed of that. However, sometimes I think we, we, we're out to pick fights and we're, we want to stand for things that really aren't the truth and the truth gets obscured. We want to stand for the truth, but be meek and humble and, and, and compassionate people that love the people who don't agree with us and who are different than us, okay? So we can talk a lot more about practicals. We don't have the time, but if you want more questions, get in a missional community, ask a friend. Um, that's, that's a lot of practicals come through, kind of come down uh, the pipe that way. Uh, ask a friend, if you're not in a missional community, to get in a missional community to get a better picture of what this looks like. Because here's the deal. God is not going to change cities, and he's not going to change Norman and other cities and, and change the people around us in our workplaces and our neighborhoods without us being on mission. This is the way that God has designed his kingdom to go forth. It's through the church. So we either kind of huddle in and nothing's going to change, or we, we, we're in love through word and deed. Again, word. I think some of us, it's easier to do deed. We for people to believe, they have to hear the gospel. Okay, this is how cities will be changed. So I want to I 
start to close to bring us back to the gospel, okay? Because this, this can kind of seem heavy-handed, but I think there's a strong calling that God wants to feel us to feel this missionary calling that he's given us in the scriptures. But we have to remember that these are identities. We aren't made righteous by being good missionaries. We're made righteous by Jesus, okay? Jesus has given his righteousness, not us how good of a missionary we are. It's as we dwell on that righteousness in Jesus, we actually should become better missionaries, Okay, we we want to be missionaries because we've experienced his grace and his mercy and we've changed. Therefore, we want to see other people change when we didn't deserve it. Um, there's, you have different kinds of evangelists out there. You have food evangelists. You, know, you go to a restaurant, you're going to tell 20 people in the next 20 hours about this restaurant. Movies, sporting events you've seen or maybe athletes that you've seen do something. You're like, Link, check out this check out this dunk or whatever. And I mean, you're like evangelists for the things that you have music, you have the diet person or the workout person. And so like we're evangelists for something typically. Let's, let's move that over to the m- most important message that the world's ever heard and primarily be evangelists for that. We could be evangelists for these other things. There's nothing wrong with that, but we should also be evangelists um, for our faith and what's changing. So here's the next steps. Quick next steps. Get into a missional community. Okay, get into a missional community. Um, Facebook and Instagram are not families. I mean, I think we, we, we kind of th- joke and think about that, but I think a lot of our physical relational connection, if we're honest, comes through our feed or our wall or somebody commenting on something we posted, okay? And that is, um, that's counterfeit, short-lived. Facebook's not gonna be there when you need someone at 3 a.m. in the morning, Okay. So we, that, that, that's a counterfeit of community that I think a lot of us experience. Um, and then on the mission piece, are you giving yourself to a lesser mission? Are you giving yourself to a lesser mission? Like think about what is your purpose in life and is it as big or as important as God's kingdom going forth? Um, another practical thing, when you come into this environment, participate. Just remember that you're not an individual when you come into this space. You're part of a church that's corporately doing these things together. Um, this is really for all of us, but I want to focus on college students. College students, you have four or five years here on campus. Um, and I'm just going to do real talk with you. Um, don't, just, don't just take from Norman. Don't just take from OU for four years. Don't just take classes. I'm going to gain friendships. I'm going to gain a, a, a piece of paper when I graduate, okay? You can gain those things, but give. Like give back when you leave, when you come back five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, what's going to be left that you were involved with for his kingdom, okay? So you have four or five years and it, 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 it's gone before you know it. So think about how am I changing the campus? Because you guys are in a sweet spot and you have a lot of energy poured into this small geographic area. And I think God could do some amazing things with a, just a group, I don't think it has to be a, huge, a group of college students that want to see revival take place on campus. And the last thing, I'll just reiterate the equip classes. There's one that's gonna be on sharing your faith, the how-tos, gospel conversations, all of those probably things that are kind of maybe pinging your mind right now as I talk about mission. That's what this class is for. So I wanna push you to the class for practicals, to sign up for that or, or talk to somebody about it, but the class is is for that as well. Let me, let me pray. Father, I uh, 
thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you've given us direction on, on how to live out the commands as a New Testament church. I pray that as we live these things out and as we um, remember our identity and, and, and live as a family on mission, that um, we will remember that these aren't forms of self-righteousness. These aren't forms where we're going to get acceptance from you. That only comes through Jesus himself. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we've received that righteousness already. We are children, and therefore we can be um, missionaries. We can be um, family because of our identity. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to take communion. And I, I think, very simply, I want us to focus on the gospel. I want us to focus on this message we've been given. The fact that we've been reconciled, if we have faith and trust and profess faith and trust in him, we have been given a new identity. We're new creations. So if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus during this time, I want you just to reflect on the good news and maybe ask, how, how's that changing your day-to-day -day life, especially in the areas of family and mission? And if you're here and, and, and something that was said kind of um, awoken you, maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, um, and, and you never thought about these things, I would encourage you to, to ask questions. Um, come forward and, and, and ask me a question afterwards, okay? And, and if you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus and you think that's happened in this service, we want you to take communion. This communion is available for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're still trying to figure this thing out and you're not sure about it, that's okay. We want you to have space to wrestle. We want you to have space to doubt, and to ask hard questions. But I encourage you to ask hard questions to your friends. Um, process your doubts with someone. Pro come find me and I'll help you process your doubts. And if that's you, um, we just encourage you to stay where you're seated. This is for um, the family only. Um, those of, uh, of, of us who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So before Jesus went to the cross, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. When you do this, remember me. Remember the gospel. Remember what I have done to reconcile you to God. And he took a cup and he said, this cup represents my blood that was shed for you, covering past, present, and future sins if you are in Christ. And so take a few moments, moments to just reflect and pray and just remember that we're doing this as a family. We're coming forward as a body to remember who Jesus is and what he has done tangibly and then really allow that to spring us out into the world. So come forward or, or head to the back whenever you're ready.